If you would like to borrow a Bible, you just raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible. You can just put it in the pew when you're done. And while the ushers are passing out the Bibles, I want to share a pretty serious prayer request with you from one of our, our members who is a, uh, a missionary, Drew Draxman. Many of you may know him. Uh, uh, he is back in, in the States currently, and he's experiencing some pretty serious health uh, conditions uh, in a hospital down in Orlando. Um, this is Drew, and about a month ago, he was engaged, um, and this is the disorder he's suffering from. You can look that up. I, I'm unfamiliar with it. You can just read about it on the Internet sometime, but it's, it's very, very serious. Uh, right now, he cannot speak. Um, there's a lot of, lot of things going on uh, medically, uh, very, very life-threatening, and it's very important that we pray, we intercede for him. Um, you know, here is a guy that I, I just love this guy. I mean, we, we've, we've interviewed him on the stage. Uh, many of you went to college with him as a guy who has, I mean, just laying down his life on the mission field in a very, very dangerous part of the world. I mean, we can't even tell you where he was on this stage because it's such a dangerous part of the world. And now he's back in the States and, and suffering uh, very seriously. And so we want to intercede for him right now. So let's, let's just let's pray. Lord, you are sovereign and you're in control. And we just throw our lives upon you and we ask for your mercy. In your sovereign power, I, I just think about how 2,000 years ago Jesus Christ would, would intervene and heal people. And we ask the power and the authority of Jesus that you would heal Drew. That whatever is going on inside of him, that you would make things right. That you would heal him, protect him, sustain him, give him life. And that may whatever is going on not cause any permanent damage Lord, you know he, he is such a warrior for you. He has laid down his life for you in many ways, and he, he loves you, Jesus. And we are, we are asking, from what we can tell upon this earth, we're asking for you to intervene and to spare his life and to give him many years of gospel preaching, of gospel uh, raising up laborers and sending them into the harvest. And I just pray not only for him, but for his... Um, his fiance, that you would comfort her during this time. You, you would speak truth to her and love to her as well, and to his mother, to Drew's mom. That you would encourage her and comfort her. And we just ask, Lord, for intervention of healing, and for your presence, and for your grace. And we we just throw our lives into your hands, and we are we are we are crying out for what we have. And, and Lord, just keep us praying, keep us keep us interceding for Drew, and we we entrust you to him. Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this morning by uh, asking a question, the same question I will be uh, bringing up at the end. And it's, the question is this. Let me put it up for you. What is something worth attempting in the kingdom even if you fail? Uh, I, I know it's a question that... Um, uh, missionaries may ask themselves, uh, I think about Drew taking a step of faith, going to the mission field. Many of you have done uh, great risk of faith for the Lord. But it's not just for missionaries, though, but also for you. What is something worth attempting in the kingdom, even if you fail? So let's let that question linger in your mind as we study the Word of God together. And let's turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. 
We're in Matthew 16. We are going through the book of Matthew. It is taking us a while, and we shall finish eventually. But we are in Matthew 16. And rather than reading the whole passage this morning, because it is longer, we're just going to look at verse... Uh, we're going to look at all of it, but I'm just going to read verse 18. So just, just, let's just look at verse 18. Let me just read verse 18 to you. Just a portion of it. Jesus says, look at the part that says, I will build, okay? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What we'll see from this verse is that the church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the one we just sung about, our Messiah, is the builder of his church, and it will prove throughout time that it is unstoppable. And there is great evidence all around the world that Jesus is still building his church today. Uh, there is a compilation. It's, in fact, it's one of my favorite books. It's a compilation of what God is doing around the world, and it's found in this book called Operation World. I've, I've mentioned it to you before. It's such a, a key book, and I, I would encourage you to get it. I mean, it's, 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 it's part of reference work, and it's also a prayer guide. Uh, it covers every single country in the world, and it describes in that country how Jesus is building his church and the work that is still to be done in that country. And I really like it because I stink at geography. So it has really helped me to see, oh, I didn't even know that was a country. And I have no clue, and I'm learning where things are at. And one of my favorite countries that I've come across is the country, uh, in, in, it's kind of in South Africa. Well, it is. It's called Swaziland. Has anybody ever been there? Okay. Have you ever heard of it? All right, maybe you've heard of it. So let me put it up for you, Swaziland. That's where it's at. Let me tell you what's going on there. That country is amazing. Uh, amazing amount of gospel-believing individuals, gospel-preaching churches. 25% of the population are gospel-believing people. It's this very powerful movement of, of God doing something great there. But yet there's still work to be done in that country because I mean, age, is, age is like taking people out. I mean, it has reduced the population to an average age of death at age 32. Could you imagine that? Average age of death, 32. Can you imagine that here? I mean, age is just, just taking people out left and right. And so what's happening? Gospel-believing people who hold to the Word of God need to preach the Word with boldness, evangelize with boldness, but also understand that people are dropping left and right. And so there's got to be this compassion. There's got to be, obviously, preaching on purity, but also preaching to help those who are suffering, preaching about the importance of, of, of purity in marriage. And so Jesus is building his church in Swaziland. There are some terrible things happening there, but AIDS will not have the last word. The church there will continue to, to grow and to flourish. Maybe it will happen underground. Maybe we won't see it as much. But Jesus will build his church, and his church will be unstoppable. And what's the coolest thing, I think, from Jesus telling us he's going to build his church, he has decided in his sovereignty to use you as a means to that end. He has decided that he wants every single one of you who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, I don't know who you are, you proclaim the name of Jesus. He wants to utilize you to build his church in a specific way in your generation. 
And the way you build the church being used as an instrument of Jesus is going to be different than the way I do it. We're going to have different giftings. We're going to have different stages of our lives. But no matter what phase of life you're going through right now, there's never a time where you can say, I'm just going to sit over here on the sidelines because I have this, 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 and this. So I'm not going to participate in Jesus' building project for a while. I'm going to put that on hold until I finish grad school. I'm going to put that on hold until I'm done having kids. Or I'm going to put that on hold until I get married. No, no. No matter what phase of life that you're going through right now, there will always be a place for you to participate in building the church of Jesus Christ, the work that he is actually doing, and he wants to use every single one of us. And so what I'm hoping today is that before we're done going to the word, you'll have perhaps a clearer picture of your part, play, in building his church as an instrument that he'll use to build his church. So let's, let's just... Go through the passage. Of course, we're going to start in verse 1 of of Matthew 16. And rather than talking about those who build the church, let's start out by those who want to destroy the church. Let's look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who want to take the church out. So, chapter 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So they're like, Jesus, give us some miraculous sign from heaven. Maybe make the the sun stand still. Maybe bring some hailstones. But give us a sign from heaven, which is absolutely amazing that they're asking Jesus for a sign from heaven. Someone put it like this. Jesus, his whole mission, he has been doing more special effects than a, a George Lucas film. Star Wars, are you with me? And yet, they're like, show us a sign. Like, are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Well, well, they just don't believe. Look at verse 2. He answered them, when it is evening, I mean, Jesus is so crafty. Look what he says. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. This is great. He's just totally busted on them. He's like, you guys, you have the skills of, of the weatherman Tom Skilling. But that's just about it. You can figure out what's going on in the sky, but you don't even see the sign of times. And the sign of the times is I'm right in your face. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to me, and you're totally missing it. You can say when it's going to rain and when it's not going to rain, but you're missing the point. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. And then he says, oh, you want some signs? I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the full-blown sign of Jonah. Remember Jonah, Jonah, the prophet who reluctantly preached to Nineveh? Well, see, these Pharisees and the Sadducees are like the perverse and wicked generation of Nineveh. But Nineveh repented. These guys aren't repenting. And just like Jonah was in the big fish for three days, Jesus is going to be buried for three days, but he will rise again. So if these Pharisees and Sadducees want a sign, they're going to get the full-blown sign of Jonah. It's almost like he's saying, I have no time for you. I'm out of here. And so he departs. And so he moves on. And what he's going to do, this is great. He's like, okay, to him, 
these are false teachers who are out to destroy the church. He's going to attempt, and I do say attempt, to try to warn his disciples about the Pharisees and Sadducees, the false teachers who are trying to destroy the body of Christ. But it doesn't go over so well. Let's go. Verse 5. This is very funny. Trust me, this is funny. Verse 5. Jesus moves on from these uh, men, and he says, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Okay, keep that in mind. Verse 6. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right? So the leaven, this has the idea of, of, of would permeate bread, and it was a, a metaphor used in the Old Testament to talk about evil and um, wickedness that could permeate one's life. And so Jesus is talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's saying, watch out for these men. They are wicked. Watch out. But the disciples, clueless. Look at verse 7 and 8. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. Okay. They're told, it's like this. Jesus is talking about one thing. They're thinking about something else. He's warning about false teachers and their hypocrisy and their lying and their unbelief. And they're thinking, bread, Panera. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? And now Jesus just goes off on them. Verse 8. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not, now he switches gears here, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he's talking about one thing, and he says, okay, I'm going to stop talking about that. And he rebukes them. He goes, look, how come you don't trust me? Why are you still worrying about food and not having enough bread? I mean, what, what, were, the, were the miracles, the two feeding miracles, not enough to tip them off that Jesus is more than enough? Jesus is sufficient? They might not have any bread, but, but they have Jesus, and, he, and he's enough. But they are stuck in unbelief. So here's the deal. The disciples can't move on to what Jesus wants to teach them because they have failed to learn earlier lessons. He wants to teach them about the seriousness of false teaching, and they're concerned about, okay, where's my next meal going to come from? It's like he really wants his disciples to grow, but they're like in this spiritual preschool. Sometimes in life, I believe that we can let our personal anxieties keep us from growing. I feel like Jesus wants to teach us something, but we're still over here anxious about something. 
worrying about something. And he's, he, and he's like, I'm enough. I'm sufficient. I'll take care of you. And he wants to teach us something else. And we're still stuck in this spiritual preschool. We're not going where, where he wants to teach us because we're so caught up in our own stuff. And you can think, well, I'm not worried about food. I'm ready. Jesus, teach me whatever. I'm, I'm not worried about where my next meal is going to come from. I'm, I'm, he's taking care of me, and you're ready. But, you know, think about the little details of your life that can get you off. I mean, have any of you ever had uh, tech problems? Like your computer's not working, or your, your phone's not working, or your Internet's not working, and it could just make your life really bothersome, Right? Like it just can ruin your day, it can ruin your week, and you can just start complaining and griping. I just can't wait to get my internet to work, or my iPhone screen is cracked, I can't play Angry Birds anymore. I mean, there's just so much stuff that starts, it really bothers you, and, and we're worried about these things. And, and, and while all around us, all around us, we know from the word, people are perishing. They need Jesus, right? And... Jesus wants his heart to be in us for them, and yet we're worried about our phones or the Internet. And it's like we're not even moving on. We're like still stuck in spiritual preschool. We're griping about foolish things, and we're not moving on. And, and in this context here, what Jesus is talking about is serious He's talking about these wicked men who are unbelievers, who are trying to trick and destroy them, and eventually they're going to have him killed. These men are a threat to the church. One of the things we talk about in our church, you'll hear about it. It's part of our ethos, and it may bore you. Part of our ethos is something called humble orthodoxy. You think that is boring. Humble orthodoxy means that we humbly believe the word of God. We're not arrogant like these Pharisees. We really believe God's word true. Now, while we say humble orthodoxy, we want to hold true to the word of God. And you think, well, that, that's, that's kind of boring. It's no big deal. But see, what happens is that when we take that, that part of our ethos and we think, you know, I'm just worried about my life. I'm worried about this. I'm anxious. And Jesus wants to teach us more and more of his word. He wants to guard the truth, to fight for the truth, you know, in a godly way. And if we're missing that and we're stuck with our little anxieties, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to see this in your generation. But the next generation is going to let the word of God slip. And so what you're going to have, I mean, some of you have come from some whacked out churches, some crazy theology. I know that. But what you're going to see happen, if we're not holding to the word of God, the next generation, you know what they're going to be? They're going to be legalistic people like the Pharisees. Or they're going to be, uh, maybe our kids will be liberal theologians. And so whether you are uh, a Pharisee who's legalistic or a liberal theologian, they both go to hell. And so the reality is, if we're like the disciples, so consumed with little anxieties, and we're not listening to Jesus say, look, the word is serious, you need to defend it, you need to hold to it, and if we're missing that because we're stuck in this spiritual preschool, we may be fine for about five to ten years, but our kids are going to be so messed up. We need to listen. We need to pay attention. We're going to be caught up with our stuff. We need to listen as he wants to grow us, as he wants to expand his church. Part of that is guarding the truth. Let's keep going. They seem to be graduating from spiritual preschool a little bit here, as Peter's going to make this outstanding profession. Look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Give, Give me the pulse of the crowd. And they said, 
Some say John the Baptist. Remember, remember Herod Antipas thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead? Um, they said others say Elijah. You know, Elijah is supposed to be this forerunner before the Messiah, which was John the Baptist. Others called Jesus Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus is like, okay, that's what the crowd thinks, and that's all inadequate. What about you guys? Who do you guys say that I am? And then Peter, awesome. Good. He just gets it right for once. Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This is like, whoa, it's such the high point in the gospel so far. Peter realizes Jesus is the Messiah, and um, he is the Christ. He is, he's the one that the Jews anticipated would come and deliver them. They anticipated this Messiah, this deliverer, the Christ, would come from the Old Testament passages and, and rescue them. And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the deliverer, you're the one. But Peter takes it even further, and he says, you are the son of the living God. So he's not just a deliverer, he's, he's divine. He's the son of the living God. And I, I just, this is... On this earth, at this time, when this was happening, right in front of Peter was the Son of God. That's amazing. Right in front of Peter. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the deliverer. The Jews have always been waiting for it. You're right in front of me. And, and you're, you're the Son of God. You're the divine, unique one. And so it's like, wow, Peter, he is getting it. It's awesome. But Jesus tells them in verse 20, don't tell anybody. Look at verse 20. Jump down to there. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, why would he do that? <laughs> Peter just got it right. And he says, shh, don't tell anybody. You know why? Because the crowds were thinking in their mind, Messiah is going to be this guy who's going to come and bring this military or this political power, kick out the Romans and bring us Jews back into power. And the disciples weren't any better. We're going to see next week that Peter gets it all wrong. Jesus talks about going to the cross, and Peter says, no way. So even Peter is not too clear on what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. So Jesus says to his disciples, hush. But to us, we know, and we're not to hush. We know that he is the deliverer, the sovereign one, who has come as the Son of God to die on the cross for sinners, to take our sin upon He took our sin upon him, died on the cross, buried, rose again. He came to deliver us from sin. So we are not to hush, but to proclaim the Messiah, the deliverer. But for them, at the time being, hush. However, Peter is commended by Jesus. Let's get back to our passage, verse 17. Let's look at Jesus commending Peter. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does this mean? I mean, it's a very controversial, very research first. Tons been written on these. I don't know. Maybe you grew up in different churches. Maybe you grew up in, in a Catholic church, and the Catholic church says, hey, this means that you know, Jesus gave authority to Peter, and every pope that comes after Peter is going to have the same authority on and on and on and on and on. Is, is, is that what this verse is talking about? And then Protestants come along, and they say, well, it certainly doesn't have to do with that. And sometimes we get the interpretation wrong. So let's just, as best as we 
can, with integrity, try to look at what it's saying here. So for starters, Jesus says that Peter, that's his new name, (laughs) and it means rock. And then Jesus said he's going to build his church upon the rock. So what's the rock there? Who's the rock? Well, some think that the rock is Peter's profession. You're the Messiah. I'm going to build my church upon that profession. And, And some think, no, no, no. Jesus is saying, you're Peter. He's doing this. You're Peter. And then he does this. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. Like he points to Peter and then he points to himself. No, probably not. It probably means what it says. You're Peter. Your name's Rock. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on the rock. In the plain sense of the word, Peter is the rock. I'm sorry. And uh, I, I see no detailed plan of, of succession here for popes. I don't see that. I don't, I don't see that at all. But I also see that it's referring to Peter. Peter is going to be one of the key leaders in the New Testament church who Jesus will build the church on. In fact, it won't just be Peter. It will be some of the other apostles. Uh, Later on, when we come to the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, it talks about how the church will be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is the builder. He's going to build his church upon these foundation men and women in the future, and it's going to be um, built upon, that's where the beginning of the church is going to come from. And so he specifically is indicating that Peter is going to be kind of like a a lead church planter of church planters. He's going to be the first among equal of leaders. He's going to be one of the key foundational leaders in the early church. I think it's all that he's getting at. But what about all the problems that will try to kill the church? Keep looking at verse 18. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell in some translations, or the, uh, you maybe have in your Bible the gates of, uh, of Hades. It's just talking about a, a reference to the realm of the dead. The idea here is that death and nothing on this earth will be able to wipe out the church. The church is always going to be living. The church is always going to be uh, flourishing and maybe flourishing for a time underground. But Jesus will be a successful builder, and he will build his church, and the people of God will be unstoppable. There is never going to be an end to the people of God. Death will never be able to shut down the community of believers. Now, this does not mean that this church will never close. My last church I came from, from here, from Santa Monica, California, closed. And should I say, well, God didn't keep his promise because we closed. No, oh, the people of God still exist. The church still is, is, is moving and growing and still being built. And it does not mean that leaders are always going to do wise things. Maybe you came from a church where your pastor did some pretty foolish things and the church got really messed up, and you say, well, Jesus, you're not building your church like you said. I mean, well, just a few years later, the Apostle Peter is going to be pretty foolish, right? And the, and the Apostle Paul is going to come up there and rebuke him. But through it all, Jesus is still building his church, and it will not be wiped out. And the last verse we're going to look at is verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, maybe you've seen cartoons or pictures or something about the, the Apostle Peter. He's at the gates of heaven. He's maybe he's sitting at a desk. He's got some keys. He's like, okay, I'm going to let you in. Here's the keys. I open the gate. You can come in. Okay, no, you've been bad. You can't come in and you can go to hell. Or, where does, no, no. That's not what's going on here. Let me give you a, a more accurate picture is that Peter is not a doorman. He, he's more like a, a steward over the whole estate. And as, as a steward of the whole estate, he has authority. And, this, and, the, and the authority he has is authority to open or to shut, but not like literal gates in heaven where he's sitting at a desk. No, he, he has this ability to enable access into the kingdom through his preaching. He actually has the authority and the power to preach in such a way that people can come into the kingdom. And if you think, he's, the, he's kind of the forerunner here. And if we, we looked at the book of Acts, we studied that a couple years ago. The book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, you have Peter preaching, and what do you have happening? In Acts 2, you have Jews repenting and having access into the, the kingdom through the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, you have Peter preaching to Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10, you have him preaching to Gentiles and those who repent have access to the kingdom. In the sense, he has the authority, he has the keys through the gospel. But then it also says here, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, once again, he's a steward over the kingdom. He's a, he's a steward over this state. He has this authority and this power for binding and loosing, which is just a, just a technical way of saying that under Peter, he kind of he set the ground rules under the authority of God. He's speaking the truth and the authority of God, and the decisions that he is making are under the authority uh, of the Father. And you can think about the situation in Acts chapter 5. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They were lying um, to the Holy Spirit for financial gain, and Peter stepped up and he said, you're lying, you're lying. And then boom, drop dead, boom, drop dead. Ananias and Sapphira were both killed. He made a decision on earth. Obviously, it was part of God's decision from heaven. Peter is the one with authority to preach the gospel, the keys to the kingdom, the authority to preach and evangelize, and also the authority to minister church discipline, which comes through discipleship. I know these are some pretty heady verses. I mean, this is some pretty heady stuff. It's, it's, I mean, I, I wonder if verse 18 and maybe 19 more have been written on these verses than almost anything in the Bible. So they're, they're pretty heady and significant things. But, but I still think it's pretty clear, the overall picture, that Jesus will build his church and he will use significantly someone like Peter. But it's also clear from the Bible that not only is God going to use people like Peter to build his church, but he's also going to use people like us. And Peter, he understands this. And later on in 1 Peter, let me put this up for you, 1 Peter 2 through 4, we are called living stones. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So Peter is a rock upon which Jesus Christ is going to build his church, but we are called living stones. You know, you think about stones making a building. Well, the stones are alive in the church, and and the chief stone or the, the living stone, the greatest one, is Jesus Christ. And as believers, we are united to Christ, and we are alive. I know we're just kind of sitting here kind of dead right now, but we are alive, and, and Jesus is building his church, and he is using us. Just as he used Peter as the foundation of the early church, he is using us right now. And at each stage of life, we have different roles to play. Maybe the role you played in your 20s is not the same one you're playing in your 40s. Or maybe the things you did for the Lord in your teens is different now than you're in your 50s. We each have a role to play in the building up of the body of Christ. There is nobody in here should, that should be exempt from serving within the body of Christ. And the cool thing is that we can step out in faith and whatever we do, you know, fail or succeed, Christ will continue to build his unstoppable church. Let me just think about some, a phase of life for some of you. There's a guy in our church, very, very godly man, who's done uh, many things in our church. But in this season of his life, he has a call to intercessory prayer. And that's serving the body of Christ. There's another guy in our church, Clark Richards. Five kids. Works a pretty serious job. And we can say, you know, Clark, um, you need to take a time out. But no, Clark Richards, he's, he's our Arwana commander. He's like, I'm going to serve the part of body of Christ. And I, I don't want you to always think that when we're talking about serving the body of Christ, it means that you have to plug into our programs. And we're not talking always about that. But there's, play, there's ways that you should be involved in serving the body of Christ, even if it's sharing the gospel with your neighbors in your neighborhood. Or it could be trying to help those in your neighborhood who are suffering. That there's still parts for you to play even outside of the, uh, what we have going on here. Even at your work, you could be leveraging your relationships or leveraging your skills at your work to push forward the gospel. And for those of you who are called to mission work, that Danielle McBride, we're trying to get her onto the field. She's being called to build the church as Christ used her overseas. And Drew, God uses him to, to build the church. But there is work to be done even in the States. One of the cool things about living in Chicago is that the nations have come to us and we can share the gospel with our neighbors from all around the world. Uh, Sex trafficking happens here in Chicago. This past week, they busted up a ring. We can interact and we can bring healing in the gospel to those who are suffering. Uh, Think about orphans and widows. They're here in Chicago as well. And we can think about interacting with them and giving them the gospel. And, and what, I, what I love about Jesus building his church, and it will be unstoppable, is that we can step out in faith and we can try things. We can step out on faith and share the gospel. We can step out in faith and leave the results to Jesus. I mean, my, my last church before this one totally clunked. We, we closed, like I said, after 106 years. And I could have said, okay, I'm done. But no, I'm like, Lord, okay, what's next? What's next? And if we, we've moved on in some type of ministry or some way we try to minister and it didn't work out so well, uh, we can say, okay, Lord, uh, what, what's next? And so I really want you to ask, in your life, what is your part? What is the part that you play as Jesus is building his church? What part do you play? What's your role right now during this season? Maybe it's different than another season, but what's it like right now during the season? And as I wrap things up, I want to think about something that is is built on this earth and see if you can make the connection to the church. Uh, This past week, you you may know, uh, the the 
co-founder of Apple, the CEO, Steve Jobs, uh, resigned from being the CEO. And it's, it's pretty big news. But overall, he's done a, a great job of, of building Apple. When, when you say, I mean, like, good job, Jobs. But, you know, his story is not always this, this one of, of, of smooth sailing. In fact, I'm, I'm, you probably know this. Did you, did you know he was fired by Apple? It's like, whoa, how does that happen? I start a company, and then they fire me. Well, that's what happened to him. He, he started a company, brought someone else on. The board sided with the guy he brought on, and boom, he, he was gone. And he, and he said it was a pretty devastating time of his life. And he thought about moving away from it all and just, and just kind of moving on. I mean, obviously, he had a lot of money. But he said no. He started still trying to create something new even when he was fired from Apple. And I don't know if you know this, but while he was fired, he started at least two companies. One of the companies that he started actually got him hired back on at Apple where he turned the company around. And I mean, you tech people know all about that. But the second company he started, I, I almost like to think of him in his free time while he was not working for Apple. The second company he started was a, was a little company called Pixar. You've heard of that? That makes like Toy Story movies and stuff. It's like, wow. So he was devastated getting fired, but he just said, I'm going to just keep creating and keep making and keep building because he wasn't focused on money. Let me put up this quote by him. He gives this quote. It's a good quote. He says, Being the richest man in the cemetery doesn't matter to me. Going to bed at night saying we've done something wonderful, that's what matters to me. And I, I think about his life and what he's done, and then I want to make the, the connection with the church that, that Jesus is building something wonderful. It's wonderful. It's, it's called the church, and every single one of us is called to participate in it. And, and there are going to be times where we step on our faith, and we fail, or we sin, or we do something that is just, just whacked out, or maybe we're not equipped enough. And there's going to be times of just failure, and we're going to want to quit, we're going to sit on the sidelines. But you know what? Those times may be our Pixar moments. Maybe our Pixar moments, maybe those times like, oh, maybe I've been redirected by the Lord. I've been off this. That didn't work out. Now I'm over here. Maybe the Lord is, is redirecting you right now or, or, or giving you a new vision. You keep pushing ahead. Things aren't working. So maybe you're being redirected. And, and I want to tell you, don't, don't quit serving the body. Don't quit being Jesus' instrument to build his church just because things haven't gone well or maybe you're not doing the same thing you've done in the past or there's something for you to do and it may be something new and it may be creative and you never know like I said it may be your, your Pixar moment because Jesus is still using his people to build the church and so I'm going to put this, this question up again I had it up at the beginning what is something worth attempting in the kingdom even if you fail don't just ask it as an individual. Uh, if you're part of you, if part of an ethos community, ask it as an ethos community. What's something attempting as an ethos community, even if you feel? Those of you who are on campus, student uh, ministries, what are we, what's worth attempting as a student ministry, even if we fail? What is worth going all out for, even if it bombs? So we want to step out. We want to be used by God, because Jesus is building his church. What is your part? 
How is he going to use you during this season of your life? Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that this is your church. We praise you that you are gathering your people from all around the world, from Swaziland to, to different parts of Europe and Asia. And Lord, we get discouraged at times. We have hard things come our way, and we want to quit. We want to quit. We want to do our own thing. We want to focus on ourselves. Show us what is our part. Lord, for the, for the, the, the parents in here, show them... Their part is also to raise their children in Jesus. I know they probably want to go and do great things for you away from their family. Show them part of that is building into their kids Jesus. And Lord, for for those of us who in here have big dreams and and visions that are just afraid because we've we've failed so many times to to, to step out and um, when we did, we we didn't work or someone hurt us. And Lord, I just ask we just move away from that and move into your truth, that you are building your church. And what is our part? What is our part serving this body? What is the part serving our neighbors in Evanston, in Chicago? What's our part in giving them the gospel? But Lord, may it be said of us that we are creating or we're part of something that you are creating that is wonderful and is the church, and we want to be part of it. We want to be used. And so, Lord, as you're redirecting some of us, giving some of us new insight, new vision, Show us what it means to step up and step out and to be used by you. In Jesus' name, amen.